So I took our lock, hopped on a plane and flew to California. And I showed up at the bird office, the lime office, the razor office back in the day with my lock. And I'm like, hi, <laughs> I'm like a sophomore in college, but uh, I have this lock idea and I think you're going to need it. Um, and they were like, oh, you're right. Like, this is a great idea. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what product market fit feels like. <laughs> Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. You're a kick-ass Airbnb host. In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping, it's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping, brought to you by Spontaneous. In just a moment, you'll meet Madison Rifkin, founder and CEO of Mount, a platform designed to help short-term rental hosts upsell their guests. Madison has always been a tinkerer. In fifth grade, she had the opportunity to enroll in an innovation program at her elementary school, and she was pretty much hooked on building things after that. One of the first products she built was a smart bike lock, which she'd actually go on to sell to some of the most well-known scooter brands in the industry. Tune in to hear the fantastic story of how selling locks to the birds and the limes of the world led to Madison building a platform for short-term rental hosts to turn just about anything into a rental amenity. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Madison. Okay, Madison, so you are at a cocktail party and somebody asks you, who you are and what you do. What is what is sort of the the first thing that comes to mind? How would you respond to that question? It's a good one. Um, I think I'd introduce myself as the CEO and co-founder of Mount. Um, and basically what Mount is, is we are opening up new revenue streams for short-term rental hosts. 
And I guess the, the sentence I leave everyone with when I introduce myself is, Mount is a platform that allows you to rent anything at any time to anyone. Okay. And then I typically see how they respond because people are very creative. And then they ask me, they're like, oh, can I rent, you know, X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> What's like the craziest thing somebody has asked you if they could rent? Or one of the craziest? Um, uh, two crazy ones. One came from an Airbnb host and uh, they were like, can I rent out a podcast studio? Because uh -huh. they were, a lot of people were working and traveling in their area. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> and then another traveler uh, asked me if they could rent, they own like very fancy um, designer purses. Uh -huh. And they're like, can I list that for travelers to rent? Because a lot of people don't like traveling with that, but like to look fashionable. When they um, go out. Interesting. I was like, that's a great idea as well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, and uh, a quick note on the podcast studio. It's funny you say that. I So I, I actually do a lot of podcasts. Um, and the hardest thing to find when you are in an Airbnb, especially if it's like in a city somewhere, is sort of a quiet space. And like, I don't want to be, some of my podcasts have, you know, video involved too. And I don't want to be like sitting on a bed or like right now, like I'm recording this from my closet, as you might be able to tell, because it's the quietest place in my DC apartment. Right. And so it's hard to find a, a space to record, but totally th and, and podcasts are like everyone's starting a podcast now. So yeah, if you, especially if you're targeting sort of like uh, avid travelers or, or nomads and you can throw in a podcast studio somewhere in your space you know, and, and upcharge for that, like, you know, people's work would pay for that, um, which would be, which would be sick. So anyways, sorry to take us on a little tangent there, but I'm a big fan of the podcast studio idea. Absolutely. No, us as well. And I, yeah, I think it was perfect for those workers that are, are traveling and working at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we chatted first, uh, a few weeks ago now, uh, you talked, you, you impressed me by sharing a lot about like how you acted as a child and the different things that fascinated you. And I believe, and you'll correct me here in a second, but I believe, you know, Mount's been, been a project you've been working on for, for years since you, since you were a young kid. So, I, I want to, before we get into kind of Mount and, and the story there, I really want to understand a little bit more about what fascinated you as a kid. Like where, where did a lot of your attention go? No, you are, you are very correct there. I uh, have been doing this since I was 12 years old, um, <laughs> which to me doesn't sound crazy because I'm only 24 right now, but uh, to most people in the industry, they're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like that, um, they're, so, they're either like, how old are you? Like, was there child labor involved? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was just a really curious kid who loved tinkering with things um, and building and solving problems. Like I was climbing trees. I was like really outdoorsy. Um, and also I think the other unique aspect of my childhood is I grew up, a, I am a triplet. Oh, really? So, <laughs> there are three of us. No three way. Girls. Um, and so I guess, you know, the way to differentiate, differentiate myself was like, let's build things and tinker. Um, and so one of the biggest problems I had was like, I was always bike riding, um, but would, I'm so forgetful, honestly, to this day, I can't remember things. So <laughs> remembering a bike lock was massively hard. Um, and I would, my mom would get so mad at me. She's like, I gave you this nice bike. You need to take care of it. Like, remember your lock. And I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> um, so to fix my problem, I just got a welding tool and welded the lock onto my bike. So it like, wouldn't leave its oh position. Um, and then from there, I think I had a unique kind of opportunity because the school I went to, it was fifth grade. I want to say, uh, Grayland country day school, they have an innovation program, which is quite rare, especially back then. Yeah. Uh, for people of my age, like I was 12 years old and they would take you after school 
into the lab they had built and they would have teacher supervision and they would uh, work with you for like six to eight months during the entire school year and ask you to build um, or solve a problem essentially. And I took the bike lock idea and that's kind of what I did. But I think without that, like kind of help, it it would have been very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Okay. I have never heard of a fifth grade class getting that sort of opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. I think uh, we were very fortunate in that the, it's called the Gates Innovation Program. Okay. The yeah, Gates family yeah. of Colorado sponsored it. They're very into the innovation. And I, I mean, honestly, all schools should do this. I think it's a great way to learn. It's one of the only things I remember as a kid anyways, is like building things. It's not like the math. I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I remember in, in fifth grade, I did, we had a, it, it was called, I forget what the actual program was called, but basically it was a simulation of like how the economy worked and everyone got like fake money and then everyone yeah. would have like build their storefront. And like that to this day was like, like I learned more about like money and the cost of goods and what, you know, overhead was right uh, from that sort of simulation. Then I learned throughout, throughout even high school to, to, to be candid, maybe even into college. So it's it's cool to it's cool to hear that you had that experience as well, and and what an incredible opportunity just to also inspire you and and inform you that like you can create, like you you can you can innovate, right? And and oh. knowing that at such a young age, I'm sure has 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 paid off. Um, so but before we go too much further here, what's the uh, what's the Shark Tank pitch, if you will, for for Mount? Like, how would you explain Mount to somebody who was either interested in in maybe investing, and or just you know getting a better sense of you and, and how you work? They want to have a serious, somewhat serious conversation with you, and yeah. they know a little bit about how business works, right? Um, but you know, at the same time, they they don't have all day. So how how do you think about pitching pitching Mount? Um, you know, I, uh, I would probably go into, um, our, our classic five minute pitch, which I, I will not do on this, this podcast, but I will kind of give you the premise of what, what it is. Um, and so basically, you know, I introduced myself, CEO and founder of co-founder of Mount. Um, and I start with our slogan or phrase, like we're a platform that allows you to rent anything at any time to anyone. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, I know that's a broad statement. Like we're obviously not tackling the entire shared economy right up front. That would be <laughs> a, a failure in and of, in and of itself. Um, so I'm like, where we decided to start is actually in the short-term rental, vacation rental industry. And you know, you probably have heard people talk about this problem, but I think as a short-term rental host, it's really hard to make extra revenue or even just ancillary revenue streams. It's, yeah. It really can't operate like a hotel. Yeah. Um, and the guests on the flip side is really traveling. And now I really think because of COVID, it's become quite prevalent. They want more than just a place to stay. They want that experience. Yeah, yeah. And so in most cases, they're going to ask your host, the property manager, whoever it is, they'll be like, hey, what should I be doing? Because typically they're a local, the, the host. Uh, that's definitely changing, but people still think that way. And they're like, can I rent a bike? And the, the host will be like, yeah, there's one like a mile down the road. Just go. They're really friendly. Um, and the traveler spends the money. They are spending upwards of $9.2 billion every year on these these type of upsells. Hmm. But that host has no way of tapping into it. Yeah. There's no software that allows that. There's property management software is not built for that. Um, and so it's a massive disconnect in the market. And that is exactly the specific problem Mount solves. Hmm. We give the software tools necessary so that the Airbnb host, the property manager, whoever it is, can basically offer these ancillary revenue streams, these amenities, whatever it may be. And now you're tapping into that $9.2 billion 
you've just seen your top line revenue increase by 20% yeah. per property. Yeah. And then that's where it gets really kind of everyone's wheels start turning. They're like, how big is this market? How many amenities do you need? And that's when it, it gets fun. <laughs> and so, and so just so, just so I'm clear that that was a super, a super good pitch here. Um, when, if I'm an Airbnb host, right. And I am interested in solving for the, the bike problem. Right. And I do, you know, I, I, I loved, I told you this when we connected a few weeks ago, but my wife and I lived full time on Airbnb for almost a year and a half. Um, and we, we've had those same problems where we would be in a cool place, like a beach town or something like that. And we wanted to, we wanted to rent bikes, but weren't entirely sure where to go. Or, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember we were in one situation where we, it was a little bit more remote and we had heard that you could get like a golf cart to help you get around. But like we, again, we weren't really sure like where or how, or, you know, and, and, you know, where to start and you Google stuff, but you also like want to make sure you're like finding a deal or you're, you're finding people that you trust. Right. And we'd ask hosts all the time, like, Hey, do you have anyone that you could recommend for here or there, et cetera. So if I am a short-term rental host and I'm interested in solving that problem for guests, Am I going in like then buying a bike and then bringing it to my house and then upselling it or like how how does that work? That's a great question because I think I've definitely left it kind of up in the air at this point in this podcast. Um, we have kind of different layers of how you can work with Mount. Okay, I'd say the easiest to digest and understand is um, finding whatever you already have at your property, yep. whether it be that beach equipment you're offering for free, the bikes you don't offer to your guests. Uh, the paddleboard, the the kayak, whatever you have that maybe the owner has in there that doesn't allow uh, the guest to use. That's the easiest way to get started. That's those type of, we call them amenities, uh, get listed onto the Mount platform. Okay. They get a QR code GPS tracker, and that allows the whole process to be facilitated and rented through our app. So say you had a bike, it gets listed on Mount, it gets fully insured that QR code, you just stick it on there. And then the guest downloads the Mount app and actually can see now that bike within our app and they can see what the price is. They can rent it, pay for it, sign, sign the rental term and condition sheet. And it's all self-service. Wow. So that's okay. the easiest way. Yeah. But I yeah. know that's not possible for everyone out there because maybe you're a property manager that has 50 to hundred units and you're like, I'm not going to manage 200 bikes. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that use case, we actually have a, a co-host program set up. So there are professional amenity managers really? that will come in. And this is actually just for bikes right now, like electric bikes. They'll come in with their fleet of electric bikes, set them up at your property, uh, do monthly maintenance, basically run the entire program for you so you don't have to do anything. Uh, and then that, that host and that co-host, they get a cut of the revenue across the board. So you're still making ancillary revenue, just not as much as if you were doing it yourself, uh, but definitely an easier program. And then the last one we're working on is like a very hands-off. This would just be like, if you wanted to make pennies, really, I mean, not pennies, but like if you just wanted to make a little off the top, it would be basically just putting in the Mount app, your recommendations as a host, uh, connecting it to your local bike shop. And then if that rental is actually facilitated within Mount, you can get a kickback that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> I remember thinking we, uh, we, my wife and I were brainstorming this, like a uh, similar idea, you know, six months ago and we're on the road, we're like, you know, it'd be so great. Even like with hosts, like guides where the, you know, the restaurants and places they recommend, it'd be so cool for the host to know and for the restaurants or coffee shops or bars to know like, oh, 
people came here because it's recommended in your host guide, right? Like, and if there was some way to sort of give a give a little bit of, of kickback to, to the host. Now, again, at the end of the day, you, you also want to be careful that you're not just trying to like monetize every aspect of the of the experience. And I'm sure there's you, you all have a you, you all recommend to your customers like, hey, like you don't want to just charge for literally everything in your house because then it's also giving the, you know, the guests is sort of weird, almost like the, the the mini bar kind of experience where it's like, yeah, yeah, the room is free, even though you paid for it, but everything in it, you can't really touch anything in it. Otherwise, you're going to get charged more. So I'm sure you have to strike some sort of balance here. Yeah, no, we definitely don't want the feeling of being nickel and dimed. And I think we definitely are defining the line between both. Yeah. It's becoming more defined as we add on different types of amenities. But what we found is if you're putting in an amenity that brings value and also looks expensive, like the guest doesn't assume that should be free. So electric bikes are a no brainer because typically if you're going to rent one anyways in town, it's going to be $90 for the day. Yeah. Maybe 120. It's insane. Um, So for you to get that for free would just be kind of weird unless you were paying like an amenity fee, which is what hotels typically charge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You can't do that currently on Airbnb. I wish you could, but um, we would like to get to that place. Uh, But for example, for like the beach chairs or the beach bundles, we call them, there there is a fine line there because a lot of hosts like to offer it for free as like an incentive to come stay at the property. Exactly. Yeah. But if you look at various types of areas, like we had someone doing that uh, in, I want to say Dustin, Florida, or like the panhandle of Florida, they were offering it for free. But it was always coming back damaged. People were forgetting to bring it back. And they were getting really frustrated because they're like, look, I'm offering this, but the guest is just not, there's no sense of ownership. And so we listed it on Mount, bundled it up, uh, put a price tag on it, and it hasn't been damaged since. The guest is paying for it. They're using it. Um, So I think in that sense, it's not feeling nickel and dimed, but it's more feeling like a sense of responsibility over what you're renting. Yeah. And that's a really good point, too, because like if you're depending on the area that you're in, if you're going to a beach, you can rent chairs, rent umbrellas from the beach itself. Right. And yeah. it, and, and people already have that sort of as, as you know, a part, unless you're at like in a resort. But even in a resort, actually, you're still oftentimes you're paying for like yeah. <laughs> a place on the beach. Right. And the umbrella. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that makes a ton of sense. Um, so. Take us back a little bit more to to the beginning here. So you, first and foremost, have you have you raised any money from Mount? Yes, uh, I guess you're getting a sneak preview because we haven't announced it yet. But okay. we did bring in some funding in uh, November and are just kind of wrapping things up with that now. So um, we will be announcing that soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, no worries. Then you probably don't want to reveal the actual number then. Yeah, which is totally fine. But do you um, what was that process like? Like, did you? had you ever fundraised before? Like, had you ever asked kind of strangers for money? No. So that was definitely my first time. I mean, this is the first company I've actually founded and we're having customers and revenue and stuff. So this is a completely new journey, but learning every day, excited to be learning. Um, but yeah, the fundraising process was insane because I think if you go on LinkedIn, if you go on Twitter, if you're following the VC community or just startups in general, most founders post and their post goes something like this oh my gosh, I launched this company. I also just raised $5 million in a week. Yeah. (laughs) And here are these really big name investors that joined. And it just leaves everyone wondering, like, did it really happen in a week? Where on earth did they find Jeff Bezos? Uh, And (laughs) like, what is the actual process of what's going on here? Um, And those posts, 
used to like, that's what set up my expectations of how fundraising works. So I went into our first fundraise, not last year, but over probably three years ago at this point. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so easy. It's going to take a week. I'm somehow going to get to meet Jeff and he's going to be an investor. Um, that's not at all how it goes. I uh, fell flat on my face with that expectation. And, you know, I really wish founders would actually tell you how it goes. I actually start started calling people out on LinkedIn for talking like that, because I think it it sets everyone's expectations incorrectly. Yeah. The actual fundraising process, as I've learned it, it's, you know, a year or two of building relationships. That's how it starts. And you can't expedite that process because the VCs, the investors, the angels, they want to see your progress and track you and really see how you work as a founder. And so what you should be doing is creating that network, reaching out for advice, which is actually something a lot of people tell you. It does work. Getting that first meeting with that investor, don't talk about the money. Talk about like, hey, how do I grow this company or like something even more specific to what that investor's uh, background is in? Yeah. Add them to an email list. And then you should be sending out monthly updates to that entire email list so that they can now have bullet points to like track how your progress is going. Um, so I had done that for the last two years, actually at this point, four years. I want to say my email list has like 600, 700 investors on it. Like the network is pretty big at this point. Um, to the point where I actually had to stop sending monthly updates because it was like <laughs> information overload and people would be like, Hey, are you raising? I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. No, we're not racing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how the process went for me. I failed probably initially four times to raise because I think the other part of it is yes, they can track your progress, but you have to be able to communicate the vision and like just the goal behind getting your company in five years to a hundred million dollar company. And if yeah. you can't do that, a VC isn't going to invest in you. And I, I couldn't do that for the first two years. I didn't really understand that process. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was so well said. Thank you for your honesty too. Cause yeah, I, to your point, it is so it's, it's, if, if you spend any amount of time on Twitter or LinkedIn, it does kind of seem like there are these people that just have these magic ideas and then they talk to two or three people about these ideas. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, Adam Newman and, and we work and there's money crawling and, and, and like literally like being thrown at you from all over the place. Um, and, you know, that's that's typically not how it goes. It might happen, <laughs> you know, once once uh, once in a lifetime or, you know, once for every million to couple hundred mil million people. But like that, that's not normally how the process unfolds. So appreciate your 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 transparency there. Um, speaking speaking of sort of like these pivots and things that you've learned like how you mentioned that mountain started really as the, as this bike lock that you made right as a as a as a 12 year old so how does how does mount go from bike lock that's like welded onto your bike to this platform where you can rent anything to anyone at any time yeah honestly great question it's uh it's been a journey and a half we at this point have made upwards of eight pivots uh over the course of not 12 years, uh, just because I didn't, once I got or invented the locket when I was 12, I got a patent for when patent for it when I was 15, but I really didn't do much with it until I got to college. Um, but I had that really unique experience. I had that patent. And then when I got to college, I was studying entrepreneurship to like no one's surprise. <laughs> and in all of my classes, we were doing theoretical business models, theoretical financial models for companies that didn't exist. And I was like, okay, this is a waste of my time because I'm putting in a ton of effort, a ton of work. And it's, you know, it's, it's all theoretical. I'm like, I have a lock. Let's make a company out of it and see what happens. So, so that's exactly what I did. I like petitioned my teachers and I was like, can I stop doing theoretical stuff and make this actually worthwhile? <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, I love the idea. I love the initiative. So that's how Mount started. 
I took that bike lock idea. I grabbed some engineers from the Northeastern Engineering School, some other business students. We got our heads together and basically built uh, a new age lock that had IoT, it had GPS tracking. Um, it was really cool. It really was not solving any problems. Uh, so I would not suggest starting a <laughs> business that way. Um, but it gave me a ton of learnings. We stood up a supply chain in China, which was incredibly challenging. Um, and got to a point where we were going prototype after prototype, uh, had a pretty cool lock. Like people thought it was cool, but really there was no product market fit there. Like we were never going to be a bike lock selling company. It's too, uh, saturated. Yeah. So at that time, electric scooters actually were popping up, but not in the masses they are today. There were like five or 10 of them in Santa Monica. And my friend was like, Hey, I just found a scooter. Like, I have no idea what this is. It's called bird. Like I, I chased it down and rode it. And it was like such a fun experience. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Um, but I could see that they were doing it all wrong. They're like putting scooters in the middle of the street. They don't have locks on them. Uh, and I just could see the chaos that they were going to cause. Um, so I took our lock, hopped on a plane and flew to California. And I showed up at the bird office, the Lime office, the razor office back in the day with my lock. And I'm like, hi, <laughs> I'm like a sophomore in college, but uh, I have this lock idea and I think you're gonna need it. Um, and they were like, oh, you're right. Like, this is a great idea. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what product market fit feels like. <laughs> and so me and the Mount team, my now co-founder Vershav uh, was on the tech side. We basically went on that path with the scooter companies. It was a crazy ride for like a year and a half up until they were massive unicorns at that point. There are locks on scooters now. Um, but then COVID hit and the innovation programs got cut, 50% of their staff got cut because no one was riding scooters, no one was going out. Um, and with that mount went by the wayside, we still hadn't really found product market fit, even though there are locks on scooters today, just the hardware business, it was never gonna get funded for us. There's a lot of complications, um, but I wasn't done. I was like, I've put money into this business. My family, my friends have put money into this business. I'm not letting it die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, nor was I done on my founder journey. I'm like, this is just the beginning. It's just a road bump. And uh, I was like, Rashab, let's pivot. Let's let's go somewhere else. <laughs> um, and so I think the biggest learning we had from that scooter market was that their customer base was predominantly tourists, like 80 to 90 percent, um, which I thought was huh, weird. Because that is interesting. It as yeah. a commuting tool. Yeah. Yeah. They still market it as a commuting tool. I'm like, it's very backwards. Uh, and, you know, I had experienced that myself when I was in uh Finland, we hopped on scooters everywhere. And it was such a fun way to explore, get around. It really felt like an experience. That's why we paid for it, even though it was expensive. Um, and I was like, I think there's something here. So we purchased like 36 scooters and then dropped them at Airbnb properties, not in a way where we didn't tell people what was happening. We worked directly <laughs> with the hosts. <laughs> they knew what was happening. And for three months, we actually accidentally became a scooter operator. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Okay. And where did, like, where did you buy these scooters from? Like, were they branded like as, as like Mount scooters or, or how did that work? Um, no, we branded them with the like Airbnb property managers logos. Ah, uh, we okay. used the lock on the scooters that we had built. Yeah. Um, and we just knew the manufacturers because we were in that industry for yeah, yeah. quite a while. We had all the relationships, but um, that was like the scariest three months of my life because I thought, you know, someone's going to hurt themselves. I'm going to get sued. It's going to all be over. <laughs> uh, and the operators had, the scooter operators had just proved that this really model was never going to be profitable, even in the way we were doing it. But I think the biggest learning we had from those hosts, they all came to us and they're like, this is a brilliant idea. Like I have a new revenue stream now, but I don't think it has to be scooters. Like mm. I have all this other stuff. 
can I rent it the same way? It was their idea. It wasn't ours. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Um, so that's kind of when we made the official pivot away from hardware, away from scooters into this software platform. It was really because of our hosts. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's hilarious because actually these hosts I'm still very close with to this day, like to the point where I'll, I'm going to go be a bridesmaid at one of their wedding. What? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, so, oh my God. Um, you know, a lot of them became investors in Mount. Like we really started Mount, uh, you know, for the seventh or eighth time, <laughs> uh, as this community of let's get the hosts together. Let's get the travelers together. Let's, uh, let's build this product that's really needed. And now we're in a place where that's our pitch. We found product market fit. The value is there and it's a lot easier to now go move forward with when people actually want what you're building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Now I want to, I want to go back because you mentioned that you like figured out how to, you, you like built a supply chain in China way back when, like, how did you know, how did you know how to do that? How did you figure out how to do that? Um, yes. Uh, so <laughs> I think one of my superpowers is being able to find people to help me because uh, I know I'm young, inexperienced, and I need the smartest people around me that are smarter than I am to really make this happen. And so honestly, the joke at Mount is ask someone on the team or one of my advisors how I found them. It's probably either Clubhouse, Instagram, or LinkedIn. That's how I, yeah, how I stalk people. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what I did when I needed to build a supply chain because one, I don't speak Chinese, never built a supply chain in China. And this is our first hard hardware product. I'm like, I need help. So what I did was I jumped on LinkedIn. Uh, there were a few scooter companies I had known that were building supply chains in China. I basically went, looked at those teams, figured out who had gone to Northeastern and messaged them. I'm like, Hey, I'm an alumni. Like, can you help me? I'm still a student because if you play the student card, everyone's yeah. willing to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ooh, that's good. Yeah. So that's exactly what I did. Like those people, uh, helped build, helped me figure out how to build a supply chain. They brokered relationships. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What, what do you think you shared this, your ability to kind of like make these eight strategic kind of pivots, uh, over the course of, of Mount's tenure. And I love that you can identify them, which is good. It, like, I feel like that's important to know as a founder, when are we doing something new? Like, when do we stop doing one thing and when are we starting to do something else? Um, and it also seems like based off of what you've shared thus far that, your decision to pivot, once you made the decision, you you went all in, um, in, in sort of that new direction, which is also really important not to kind of teeter back and forth between the, oh, should we go back? Should we go this way? Should we go in a different direction, et cetera? I'm curious, what, what on this journey thus far has been the hardest thing for you, like the most difficult thing that you've had to wrestle with? And and then how have you like overcome that that difficult mount, if you will? <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, the, the, the most difficult thing honestly has been, I think it's, it's more of like a, a mindset thing because I mean, so this is a roundabout answer to your question. I never thought, um, the gender, uh, difference between male and female was actually going to become a, a, a player in this industry. I'm like, I'm a female founder. Like I know the statistics are female founders get 2% of all funding or even less than that every year. Uh, you know, at conferences, 80% of the speakers are male, maybe more than that. And I'm like, oh, that's probably, those are probably just statistics. Like, I'm not going to feel that. Like I'm, you know, a young female founder, like it's not going to matter. Um, and so that was kind of the mindset I had. And in the last six to eight months, it's just become so apparent that it actually is starting to make a difference and not really for the better. Mm. Um, I, I do think, and I don't think this is uh, just kind of, 
unique to the short-term rental industry. I think this is actually still happening everywhere, but from my experiences within the short-term rental industry, it's a massive boys club. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it's rather frustrating. And I don't, I think the thing I've struggled with is like, yes, I want to fix this. I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. But there's a lot of people in the industry who claim that they're helping to change this. Uh, a lot of conference, um, I don't know what they're called, like the people that throw the conferences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actively, when they open their speeches of the conference, they're like, oh, you know, we tried to get female speakers. We tried to find the female founders. They just said no. And now we have 90% of our speakers are, that are male. And I'm like, that's such a cop-out. Like, did you actually try? Like, if you had, I'm here. I could have been speaking. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just stuff like that where... A lot of people, um, you know, try to say that they're helping. They're not. It's still a boys club. And so at Mount, it's funny because I was at those conferences with my marketing head, Kennedy, and we were having very frank conversations with each other because she was she didn't believe it was true either until she came with me. Um, And we in that kind of conference were like, let's make Mount at least, you know, 70 percent female workforce. Yeah. Yeah. And I have now set out a mission uh, which is proving challenging, but I, I want to stick to it to make Mount's board predominantly female, because that's another thing you see in the industry is a lot of, uh, the boards, the board of directors for companies are male. Yeah. Um, and you know, I want to set out and change that. So I have modeled my company after uh Spanx because I'm fascinated nice. with how Sarah built her company. Nice. So nice. I tell everyone I meet that I, if you know Sarah, I want to meet her. So I'm putting that out into the universe. <laughs> she will one day be on the Mount board. I'm cl- I'm calling it here. Um, I love it. I love it. I love bold predictions. But, <laughs> yeah. So I guess that was a long-winded answer, not as specific with, with experiences, but it is just something that you know I you do struggle with on a daily basis, and it's more of a mental game. You kind of can't let it psych you out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And and you know I. I, I, my observations, uh, I think you're a hundred percent accurate. You know, this is, unfortunately it's, it is, it does feel like a boys club. Even I'm, I'm even thinking about like short-term rental, like Twitter and short-term rental, like LinkedIn too. And it's like, I'm, as you were talking, I was thinking about all the people that I follow or that I regularly see content from. And I, I can maybe, I can maybe identify like two to three women in the space that like I, you know, that I followed and that, that I, I see their content and that's, um, yeah, it's interesting. Even, in, even from sort of like the write-ins that we get from people or the request to come on this show, it's, I don't think I've had a single like woman reach out and, or an agency representing a single woman founder kind of reach out to, to talk about this show. Now that said, we've, I, th- I think we've had about 50, 50, um, uh, just because there, there are good. also, uh, there are also a lot of incredible, like, like a lot of hope. I don't know what the percentages is, but this is total anecdotal. So this is maybe this is totally false from app from living on Airbnb for 15 months. I'd say that predominantly the the hosts that we were booking with were women so i I don't know what that what that percentage shakes out to be but like i want to say it was like at at least 65 maybe 70 percent of the hosts of places that we stayed at least like the host the 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 owner of the listing if you will the manager of the listing whoever that was 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 woman which is also interesting that it, it seems like there's a lot of women that are working in the space but again yeah their their voices their stories just aren't aren't out there as much uh and aren't being aren't being you know elevated as much so Anyways, I should no, probably shut not. up before I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's super interesting. It's a, I wonder if there'll be like a OTA booking platform in the next few years for like solo female travelers where it's like 
if you book this place, like it's been vetted, it's owned and operated by another female. Like it's a, a community that, I mean, maybe it's out there and I don't know, but uh, <laughs> that would be nice. I know that like nomad list has like a, um, a women nomads category or something like that, where you can connect with other uh, women who are traveling full time and get recommendations on like where to stay and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know of, a, of an OTA that does that exclusively. But hey, that's a great business idea. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or adding in the filter on Airbnb. They're all into filters these days. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. For better or for worse. Um, well, well, th this is this is great. So, so some additional questions for you. Um, a lot of the folks that are listening to this show are we have kind of this growing audience of folks that are building cool things uh, in and around the short-term rental space. So, so entrepreneurs, but by and large, our, our audience are folks that are hosts themselves um, that typically have, you know, between two and 10 properties and they're interested in, in growing and, and, or just, you know, becoming a better host, becoming a better business leader and manager for the properties that they do own, even if they're not interested in expanding their their portfolio. So what are what are some of the ways that you've hit on a, a couple of them already, but very practically speaking, how does Mount uh, communicate and uh, relate to short term rental hosts? Like, could you walk us through if I've got an air if I've got three Airbnbs in uh, I don't know, Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, and I am interested in doing something with Mount, what happens next? Um, great question. So if you go to our website, uh, rentmount.com, there is a button and it says uh, list your amenity or, you know, whatever list. Uh, yeah, I think it says list an amenity. Um, you basically just click that button, fill out a form, and then you're in contact with me essentially. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll ask you a few questions about your property. Really honestly, make sure that it is the correct property for these type of amenities. Cause we're really only focused on three categories right now. Obviously that'll change in five years, but right now it's electric bikes, beach bundles and firewood actually. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which is a big one. Those are all yeah. really making a lot of money. Um, so we'll just make sure your property is good for that because in some cases, like if you're in a, a one bedroom apartment in Miami, you might be okay with two beach chairs, but like, really, is that going to be a game changer for you? Probably not. Like yeah, you're yeah. in Miami, so yeah. <laughs> you have other things you can leverage. Uh, so really focused on cabins, houses on the beach, like that type of environment. So we'll just make sure it's okay because we don't want you spending money if it's not going to work. And we know that based on data. And then from there, honestly, it takes about a week. You tell us what you want. If you already have it, that makes it easier. Um, we'll get you set up your amenity running. And then all you have to do from there on out is really market to your guests, whether that's in the pre guest communication in your actual listing, we, we suggest you do it all. Um, and then also, you know, communicating with the guests during the stay, which I think most people should be doing. I don't think a lot of people do, but it does add that nice touch where it's like, Hey, I actually am a human. This yeah. is my listing. I want to make sure you're having a great time. Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, by the way, have you rented, um, you know, my amenities. And then the other thing we're looking at doing right now, actually, is like if you have a beach bundle, if you have firewood or a bike, putting in an accompanying like gift, if you will, it's mounts, you don't have to pay for it. But like if you have firewood, we'll actually put in like a s'mores kit for you and your guests. Ah, nice. So the s'mores kit is free, but you need the firewood to actually, you know, make the s'mores useful. Yeah. So stuff like that, that makes the guests feel like, oh, this is so nice. Like what a nice touch. And then they're like, oh, the firewood's already here. That's so easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How are you guys with with like the beach bundles, for example? Have you all thought about if if I'm a host and I'm standing up my own my first Airbnb and I don't have, you know, a a beach bundle set, 
do you have like do you all have like recommendations because again it, i you mentioned this earlier but like i would imagine one of the one of the biggest ways to communicate the value of something like this is to is to have premium products as opposed to like you know a half broken beach chair that you got at costco four years ago or whatever it is right like so have you all helped are you all building out any sort of uh ability for hosts to kind of buy mount approved sort of uh of of amenities or, or how how's that shaken out yeah we did do that just because people are always like oh where can i buy this um so for the beach bundles we'll send you a link that basically can take you to everything you need you can tell us how big your property to, property is and we'll be like all right you need two beach chairs a beach wagon uh, an umbrella and a cooler yeah that's like the base model is <laughs> like that's what we suggest you start at um and then, you know, for electric bikes, we actually work directly with manufacturers. So if you, if we, if you let Mount help facilitate that order, we can actually get you a really large discount, um, off of the bike or you work with a co-host and it's free. Um, so yeah, we help on all of that stuff. We have bike rack recommendations if you really want to put in one of those. Um, and then the only thing to remember is if you are doing something that has electricity, like an electric bike, you're going to have to build into your cleaning flow or some type of flow. Like, Hey, just make sure the bikes are actually remaining charged. charged. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. That's interesting. Wow. And as you, as you think about sort of like, I mean, I, I'm just getting more and more excited as, as we're talking because the very first thing that you said about being able to rent anything to anyone at any time, I mean, your, your possibilities quite honestly are are endless um and i know that you're really you're starting with short-term rentals which which makes a ton of sense so and who knows what the future is beyond that but just looking at like how you are intending to to grow in in the short-term rental space over the next 12 to 24 months what's like the rough vision the rough roadmap for that um yeah i mean that's a great question and i think you'll see this uh in a few weeks or a month time we are completely rebranding and doing a complete new website and it's really to communicate the vision of Mount and what we want uh, the travelers to understand they're getting when they rent with Mount as well as the hosts. And it's really this vision where you're renting from the locals. You're not, you know, single use traveling anymore, which is basically when you go and buy a beach floaty and then throw it away, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, buying a beach chair and then throwing it away. <laughs> uh, we're trying to get rid of that stuff and really bringing the power back to the community where it's like, we want you guys to be facilitating these experiences and these relationships and Mount is really powering that. And I think what it looks like, what our grand vision is, and so this isn't 24 months out, but more like five, is we really want Mount travelers to travel with just a backpack. And it's gonna get quite competitive to see who can travel the lightest, but really just bringing a backpack and renting everything they need in destination. Um, because it's already there, you just kind of, we're unlocking it for you. Uh, and then what we want to do is really build this community from both the traveler perspective and the host perspective. So if you work with us as a host, you're rising the ranks to get into this basically exclusive club where we only give you access. If you're a really great host, you're hosting amenities and maybe you're taking it above and beyond. And now your property is in this elite group of Mount, you know, ecosystem and the travelers are doing the same. They want to reach the top so that when they get into that group, we're connecting the best of the best. Yeah. And it's, you know, you might get free travel, you might get free, you know, perks, whatever it may be, but we really want to create this conscious traveler and not someone who's going and destroying the land. I, I actually lived in Hawaii for three months and that was one of the big issues is like Airbnb is great, but it's opening up all these areas on the island of uh, Oahu that really hadn't been touched by tourists before. And the tourists don't know how to act. Yeah. So they're ruining the land, destroying sacred land. Um, 
And we would, you know, we want that to continue where you can keep traveling and exploring new areas, but in a way where you're being conscious and you're not having that stigma of the dumb American tourist or yeah. like someone who's coming in and ruining things. Like that's not how travel should be. You should travel like a local. Yeah. And that's exactly what Mount is uh, going to be pushing forward. Yeah, I love that. I, I was actually born and raised on Oahu. So I lived there uh, until, oh, no yeah, yeah, until I was 17 for and then left for, for school. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, in, in Airbnb just like, that was was banned uh on oahu or I, I can't remember when it's going into effect but it i think or i think the minimum is like 30 days like you have to be able to stay there for for 30 days now which is which is really unfortunate because you know the the island does like 90 percent of the island's gdp comes from tourism um but at the same time yeah it's 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 overrun um and so anyways i, I love this idea of 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 the conscious traveler and and really kind of helping empower people to to travel with less um and really, you know, more fully experience their local community, which is which isn't too unlike what Airbnb like has had initially intended, right? As hey, we want to help you experience this place as if you lived here, right? Like that's why you're not staying in a hotel. Um, really? it, it's cool to see. It's cool to see. Hey, yes, and and the house is one thing, um, but then beyond that, right? How do you, how do you expand that vision for travel beyond just where you you know lay your head at at night and actually enter a space where no, 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 everything that you do while on the trip, right? Everything, you know, everywhere you go while on that trip, you're, you're bringing a little bit of that, or you're tapping into the community resources that are available to you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that's the vision of Mount summed up. <laughs> well, this has been uh, incredible, Madison. I, I really appreciate your time and, and what you're building in this space. It's incredibly exciting. And um, I, I have a feeling since you've stuck with this for 12 years already, like we're just, this is just, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're still at the top of the first inning. Uh, totally. I think that you have a lot of opportunity here and, um, I really appreciate you taking some time to, to share your, a little bit of your story with us for folks that do want to get on Mount or learn more about Mount. Like what's the best way if you're a short-term rental host, what's the best way to, to get connected to what you all are doing? Yeah, I think honestly, two ways. Uh, you can totally fill out that form on our website. It does come directly to me. So that is a great way to get in touch with me. Um, if you want to chat directly, you could totally reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just send a message and connect. I'm like on LinkedIn every day. Uh, <laughs> that or uh, do some light stalking on Clubhouse too. I'll be I'll be on there. <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. Great. And we'll, we'll throw links to your social profiles and your website and all that fun stuff in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, just scroll down on whatever podcast streaming app you are using and you can connect with Madison on LinkedIn and or visit the Mount website. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's again, it's been a pleasure and, and best of luck. I'm really excited to continue to follow you and see what you continue to build. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was uh, fantastic. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. 
Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're gonna roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time. <laughs>